0: We're going to be in First Peter chapter 2. Now, if you're here somewhat new to Grace Community Church, welcome. Maybe you're here because you came for Good Friday and Easter and you wanted to come back. We're so grateful that you're here. Please let us know if you have any questions about Grace, Grace Community Church, or the grace of God. Please let us know how we can serve you. Out in the gathering hall, there's a welcome table, a welcome desk there, people there. I'm looking back, someone's standing there right now, all the way across the gathering hall on the way out today. If you need anything, let them know. Justin Tucker came up earlier. He's got that name tag on. You say, what's that about? He's on staff here. There are other welcome people with name tags. Find one of them. Let them know. Ask uh, what you need, and we will try to provide that. So welcome to Grace. Our congregation is preaching and praying and discussing our way through 1 Peter. Now, that is a New Testament letter. It's in the Bible, in the New Testament part of the Bible, written by an Apostle. That would be one who was designated by Jesus to bring God's word to the church. Peter was one of those apostles, and so he wrote this letter as an apostle to congregations in the first century over in the part of the world that we now know as Turkey. But we know that these letters, these New Testament letters being inspired by the Holy Spirit through these apostles are really for all the congregations and all the Christians throughout history until Christ comes back. And so we're grateful for the Bible and the New Testament and 1 Peter. We receive it today. We hear it as God's word. This is what we're doing at Grace Community Church. Now today, interestingly, though, we're jumping in. We, we, had, we were in 1 Peter. We kind of took a little bit of a break from where we were. We did, did Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. Now we're back in this Sunday where we left off two Sundays ago, or I should say three Sundays ago, and we're jumping right back into a portion of the letter that's about being citizens, and it's about the government but it's about so much more than that because there's a context to these specific commands we're going to read the specific commands today related to citizenship and the government but then we're also but before that we're after we read that we're going to pull back and see the whole see the context and understand why it is that peter is giving this command to the churches today so stand with me in honor of god's word <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is God's word. You may be seated. Now, as you can see, the specific commands for Christians have to do with honorable conduct and here being subject or submissive to human institutions. The one we're going to talk about today is the government. Honoring people, loving the brotherhood, fearing God as his servants. But if you zoom out, you see that there's a context here. There's so much more going on here that is behind the command to be submissive to human institutions and to government. And what's going on behind the scenes actually helps us make sense of the commands and motivates us to obey what is being said. The basic command for Christians in verse 11, we're called sojourners and exiles in the world, is to live among believers, or or to live among unbelievers honorably by being submissive to human institutions of government, the law of the land. Now, the most important thing to know, however, the most important thing to be the driving reality and truth in our lives prior to the basic command is to know who we are and what we are doing here in this world. That is the context, and we have to get that first. So, before the specific command, let's pull back and ask who are we and why are we here? Christians, now I'm using the word Christian. In the first Peter sense, the New Testament sense, which means the real sense, Christians are God's people in the world. Christians are God's representative people in the world. Christians are so, God's people, God's representative people in the world, by grace through faith. It is by God's action toward us in Christ by the Spirit that we are God's people in the world. It's not because of our own righteousness. It's not because we are a cut above. It's purely by God's grace that we are God's people in the world. God's people in the world whose presence in the world and faithfulness to God in the world communicates God's excellencies something about being God's people and about living the way God calls us to live communicates the excellencies of God to people in the world something about that living that honorable living shows the greatness of God and the power of God and the beauty of God and the holiness of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and other attributes it shows the goodness of God and his ways and something about that awakens it it opens the mind of people to his grace and to his goodness and his greatness and his ways and as it opens the mind the Lord uses that that more people may believe and more people may become his people so this is the way it works is why God has us here it's who we are and what we're about we are like we as the church are like pre-evangelism We are people who prepare the minds of other people then to be open to and to pay attention to the Word of God as they see the reasonableness of the Christian faith being played out in the lives of Christians. This is what it means to live honorable lives. This is who Christians are. Christians, if we went back to 1 Peter, we would see that Christians are born again by the Spirit of God. Once again, this is the activity of God In a person, making a person spiritually alive and responsive to him. Making us new people. And being born again gives us great hope. Christians are people of hope. People of living hope. That means hope that is alive in us. Becoming a motivating power to be obedient to God no matter what happens. Christians are forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God. All of this based on the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, which was in our place, paying the penalty for our sins, removing sin as a barrier between God and, and us so that we can know and relate to God freely and be in right standing and right relationship with God, what Peter called being ransomed, purchased by the blood of Christ Out of darkness into light delivered to live freely unto God. I'm just tracing back and talking about what a Christian is in all of 1 Peter until we get to where we are today. Christians are, starting in chapter 2, Christians are together. Each thing I just said is about individual Christians. But now we come to chapter 2 and we see that Christians are together God's own people. Together, we are like a house, a temple where God lives, being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Together we are like a, a priesthood, offering up sacrifices to God. Together our sacrifices being worship. Yes, in song, in more than song, but yes, in song, like we did a moment ago, as the Lord <clears throat> was listening to the song offered up by the priesthood of this congregation today and I know he was happy and a priesthood offering up the sacrifices of obedience and prayer and our very selves to Christ together we are like a nation we're like a nation among the nations Christians are being led by our King Jesus We are a people, a people who have received mercy from God to be his people. We are in the world as visible and audible witnesses to the mercy of Christ. And and as such, this is the way God awakens people and draws them to himself all for his glory, that he may be glorified Verse 12, on the day of visitation. This is who we are. This is why we are here. This is who you can be. It causes us to stop and pause and say, ask yourself, who are you? And why are you here? You can answer that in Christ you can become a Christian. You can respond to God and Christ in faith. You can respond to him in repentance by turning from your, your former self, your former life, and turning to Christ and trusting him to reconcile you to God and following after him in faith. You can do that and you can become a Christian. And then in doing so, you can grow up as a Christian. You can grow stronger as a Christian. You can grow up, as Peter said, into salvation, into Christ-likeness. And in so doing, in coming to faith in Christ, you can become a part of God's people, the church, that together you can join us in declaring the excellencies of God and His grace and His mercy. So if that is new to you and there's a stirring, if there's a stirring and there's an awakening, I want to encourage you to follow it. Follow it. Pursue it. Ask questions. Talk about it. Once again, I put the invitation out to say we in this congregation are here to have these kinds of conversations about Christ and the gospel and the cross and the resurrection and what it means to be God's people so if you say this is all new to me and I've never heard this about being born again and being forgiven of sins and being reconciled to God and being a part of the church and declaring God's excellencies what is this about come ask follow the stirring we believe it's the stirring of God's spirit so respond to it and then what Many of us, maybe most of us have. Hopefully some more will. Then what? That's where we are today. Chapter 2, I started in verse 12, but in verse 11, he says, we are sojourners and exiles. That's what. Now we live in this world as sojourners. There's so much to the sojourning life. When we live the sojourning life, that means the Christian life. That's another way of saying the Christian life. There's many ways you can describe this. Sometimes around here at Grace, because many of us have read a book called The Pilgrim's Progress, we say we're pilgrims making progress. That's similar to being a sojourner. So much to this sojourning life now that we are in Christ We have the promises of God, we have hope, we have peace, we have love, we have joy, we have assurances that right now we are in Christ. Right now we are the children of God. Right now our sins are forgiven and the future is even brighter when Christ returns and everything that we have now we have to its fullest. This is what it means to to be sojourners in this world. Now we love him even though we don't see him but soon we'll see him face to face. And here's what's a part of this sojourning life as we jump into where we are today, beginning in verse 12. The the sojourning life, the life of the Christian has a command to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Verse 12, as sojourners living in the world as citizens of the kingdom of God, with our ultimate loyalties and allegiances to God, but still living here, that's a sojourner. Verse 12, we keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And that word Gentiles in this context means the unbelievers, the people who do not worship the one living and true God through Jesus Christ. Keep our conduct honorable among them. Honorable to who? To God. It's keeping our conduct according to God's standards, God's will. And in doing so, then we honor people as God has called us to do and ordain them in our lives. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Again, verse 12, so that when people speak evil against you, and guess what? They will. It needs to be said that when you become a Christian, and you follow after Jesus, you are going to become a new person who responds and relates differently in this world to the glory of God through love. But that will not always be accepted. We will be spoken of as evil because God's people represent a new and a different way. God's people live under a higher authority, the authority of the Lord God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that new way under the authority of Jesus Christ is foreign. It's foreign to our former lives. Again, it's all by grace. We didn't figure this out. God chose us for this and graced us to come into this life. But now we live it And we're showing there's a higher authority than even our former lives. But in the world, that is not always recognized. And often, we will face criticism and even contempt, even though we're following Christ. And the phrase goes on. So we're sojourners. We're keeping our conduct honorable among the unbelievers so that when they speak evil against us, they may see our good deeds. And that means you say, well, I thought it was our good deeds that got the criticism in the first place. Yes. And they speak evil. But then they see our good deeds, which means we keep our conduct honorable even when we are slandered, not changing our conduct to fit theirs. We keep our conduct honorable so that, keep going with verse 12, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Which means God opens their eyes through the lives of his people and then he visits them with salvation, with the new birth, with grace, with forgiveness, with reconciliation, To become his people. This is God's way of evangelism. So who are we? We're sojourners. God's people in the world. What are we doing here? We're glorifying God through honorable conduct. And of all the numerous ways that this happens, we've entered into a section in 1 Peter beginning in verse 12 that talks about this honorable conduct and in verse 13 tells us that the honorable conduct is in relation to the government. We're going to see next week, Lord willing, that it is in relation to employment and the week after that in relation to marriage and family and later on we'll see in relation to the church but today it's honorable conduct that gives witness to God's goodness and grace in relation to the government. He says in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, when he says the word subject, he means submissive. It means coming under the authority in a certain jurisdiction. It's not a forced subjugation. It's a willing submission. It's a yielding to proper authority in a proper place. And that is key. Submission, yielding to authority, is a key word in all of the places that we're called to have honorable conduct. In every situation that we see in 1 Peter, like the government, like employment, like marriage, like the church. Submission. Now, the fact that the word submission causes us to bristle indicates how we have taken on the spirit of the age. Submission is necessary for becoming a Christian. First and foremost, to become a Christian, one must submit to the ways of God. His way is by grace through faith. There must be a submissive heart to receive God's grace instead of a rebellious heart that says, I'll do it my way by my own merit, or I don't need you at all. There's a submissiveness that's part of being a Christian, becoming a Christian, and there's a submissiveness that's part of living as a Christian. Submissiveness is Look what he says, for the Lord's sake, which means Christians are submissive to God for his sake, at his command, by his instructions, according to his will and for his glory. And then Christians submit, as he's telling us in these texts, the rest of chapter 2 and on into chapter 3, Christians then submit properly to those he calls us to submit to in every human institution. Meaning, the institutions that God put in place for humanity on earth. God put in place government and employment and family and marriage and church. Verses 13 and 14, he says, We're to be submissive to the emperor as supreme. Now, that means the emperor as supreme among other civil authorities and in government. It does not mean that the emperor is supreme in heaven. Only God is supreme. It simply means supreme among other governing authorities. There's the emperor, then there are governors sent by the emperor, he says in verse 13. So we can see that they had in Peter's day a governing structure. It included more than this, but Peter mentions these. And so do we have a governing structure. We have branches of government. We have levels of government. We have laws that govern. And we have people that are put in place to administer those laws. We honor the office. And therefore, we honor the people in the office. But we submit to the law in our context We submit to the structure of government, we submit to the offices, and we submit to the law in our context. Verse 14, the whole point of government and of law is this, to restrain and to punish evil. He's speaking about the penal system for lawbreakers. That's the purpose of government. And to praise for doing good. It doesn't mean to pass out little stickers that say you're rewarded for doing good. It means that the government simply shows honor to its citizenry that is, that is living honorably. Now I need to pause here for a moment and mention a few things. Verse 14 mentions the role of government. To restrain and punish evil and to show honor to those living honorably. That is the first thing I want to point out is that is the role of the government. Good government does this. It stops evil and it promotes honorable living by law, good law and law enforcement. Now the complexities of this abound as you no doubt know. But the principle holds. We cannot say, we cannot do away with the principle just because there are complexities. The principle holds. God established government for that, for this. Governments and those who govern will be held accountable to God for this. This is a Christian truth that causes us to have a sense of hope. Because when we look around at what's going on, maybe in our own country, certainly around the world, and we see governments and those who govern not doing what they're supposed to do, we can say, as Christians, there is a God who judges justly. Peter has already said that in previous verses. There's a God who judges justly, and all, even those who govern, will be held accountable to him. This should give us great hope. In our context... We the people are a part of this government, at the heart of this government. This should guide our participation at whatever level our participation is. This should guide us that as citizens being at the heart of government, we are to participate in ways that fulfill the purpose of restraining evil and promoting good. We should understand as we participate as part of our system, that God has established government for this purpose, that therefore we participate, we vote according to his purpose, and that we will be held accountable to God. So that's the first thing we need to know. This is the, this is the purpose of it. But the, the other thing we need to pull out before we continue on is that while we're being told to submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, government, and law, there's a limit to this. No human authority is absolute. We've said this in other contexts at Grace, and we'll have to say it again as we move along through these other human institutions in the weeks to come. No human authority is absolute. Every human authority, every institution of humanity and those who are in it and the laws of it are limited in their power and in their jurisdiction. Only God's authority is absolute. And God's authority is absolute in all places, at all times, in all ways. The government does not have power over the conscience of a person. It does not have power. It does not have final authority. At times, governments may unjustly act like they do have authority over the conscience. They did this in Peter's day. I find it interesting, and I think I need to remind you that Peter is calling for this kind of submission to an emperor, to a, gov- a structure of government in his day that was actually acting unjustly and had him executed. But he knew that God judges justly, he knew that they would be judged by God. Governments are limited, laws are limited. In their authority and in their jurisdiction. And there are examples of God's people who throughout history have had to say, We will obey God, not man. Exodus chapter 1, the midwives. The Hebrew children, the Hebrew, the nation of Israel, the the Hebrews were growing so numerous in the nation, in, in the land of Egypt that the king said, we've got to get rid of them. We've got to slow down the population. We've got to control the population growth of the Hebrews. So midwives, you should kill all the male babies born. And they said, no. They, Exodus 1 says, they feared God. Hold that phrase. We'll come back to it. They feared God. And they obeyed God, and they kept the babies alive. Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 6, the Hebrews are now in exile. And the king said, you'll bow to the golden image, and you won't pray anymore. And Daniel and his friends stood when the image came by, and they bowed to God to pray. The religious authorities, there's another structure human institution the religious authorities in acts chapters 4 and 5 told the apostles to stop preaching and teaching in Jesus name and they said we must obey God rather than man and they kept on preaching and they suffered for it and willingly so Hebrews chapter 11 which is called faith's hall of fame that place where all these great people of faith are listed for us to look at and emulate in our lives When you get toward the end of that chapter, you see that Christians endured, because of their faith, endured prison, torture, and death to be faithful to God. And so it continues around the world, even today, for Christians, when they gather to worship, when they read, even possess a Bible, when they share the gospel, when they speak about what biblical morality is like. In many lands, they have to do so against the law and under threat of the government. But they do so because they are being obedient to God. So, there is an exception to the rule. Submit to government and law unless doing so means you must be disobedient to God. But that is the exception. It doesn't mean that we can be disobedient to the law. Simply because it's not to our liking or simply because we don't prefer that law or we don't approve of that law. Again, even Peter submitted himself to a structure of government that was eventually going to kill him. He remained faithful to God in doing so. This is honorable. Verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, there are two possibilities of ways of understanding this. One is this, that the unbelievers who were watching the Christians live out honorable lives under the lordship of Christ and declare Jesus as Lord falsely, ignorantly spoke against these Christians, claiming that the Christians were anti-government that they were anti-law, that they were anti-emperor because the Christians claimed that Jesus is Lord and their ultimate allegiance is to him. In that case, Peter says, silence them. How? By your honorable conduct. Continue to live honorably. Continue to submit to Jesus as Lord and to the laws of the land and silence them. It could also be that some believers, being ignorant themselves, verse 16 says that they're not to use their freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's possible that some believers, being ignorant themselves, said, well, oh, I'm a Christian, and I have Christian freedom, and therefore I can rebel against the government. Peter said, silence them. Remind them that Christian freedom is not for the purpose of casting off authority. But Christian freedom is for the purpose of being a servant of God and therefore honoring the institutions that he ordained and being submissive in them. The point, summing up. As God's people in the world, we are called to bring glory to him, first and foremost. And there are numerous ways we, as God's people, bring glory to him. Here, Peter says, we do it by honoring his ways, by having honoring conduct in the ordained institutions that he has put in place, one of them being the government. When we do, we will give witness to the world of the goodness of God's ways. When we do, we will give witness to the world of his grace in our lives. We will give witness to to the world that will open their eyes to the goodness of his ways. We will witness God's orderliness, his wisdom in the world. We will witness his power to transform a human heart from a rebellious spirit to a submissive spirit that declares Jesus is Lord and then lives honorably in this world. When we do this, again, we will be like we will be doing pre-evangelism. We will be preparing the mind and the and uh, of people for the presentation of the hope that is within us. We're to live honorably. Now this takes a lot of working out. As I said, the complexities are there. Not only do we not have time for them, I'm not sure that I even know, would even know how to preach about all the complexities. They're so numerous. But the complexities do not remove the principle. God has called us to be honorable in our conduct among the unbelievers, in part that meaning, subject, submissive to the human institutions that he has put in place. Verse 17, then Peter gives us a real summary. He sums up the mindset. He sums up the priority allegiances of a Christian, of the church, of God's people in the world. We receive this summary of mindset and priority allegiances. We we receive it, we live it, we apply it, and then we stay faithful. And we trust God's providential care. And here it is. First, the summary of our priority allegiances, allegiances is this. First, we honor, verse 17, we honor everyone. Christians are to honor everyone. We're to give respect to everyone that is due everyone because everyone is created in the image of God. And. We're to honor those who are serving in the God-ordained institutions. So, again, working that out is going to take a lot of thought, but let that guide you. Let that principle of honor everyone guide you and your interactions. Second, verse 17, we love the brotherhood, meaning the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what just happened? He just ramped up. He ramped up the level of engagement and allegiance within the church among Christians. He said we're to love as well as honor. We can honor people we don't know. We can honor people we don't agree with. And there is a kind of love that is honor. But among the brotherhood, do you know where that is? That's right here. That is right here in this room. Among the brotherhood, brothers and sisters, there is a deeper, higher love. It's a love of family. It's a love that requires a greater allegiance, a greater care. Honor everybody. Love the brotherhood. Third, fear God. This is the highest form of love and honor. The fear of the Lord is the highest form of love and honor. It speaks to the highest level of allegiance. Every one of those people we mentioned, you remember those midwives i said they feared God? Every one of the people who have had to choose to obey God to their own suffering did so because they feared God. It's the highest level of honor and love and allegiance. And fear of God does not equal cowardly, retreating, afraid of God. Fear equals respect, honor, love. The agno- fear of God is the acknowledgement of God's sovereignty, absolute power and authority over everything and everyone, everywhere. To acknowledge that is to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to acknowledge His lordship over one's life. That He is Lord Even if we lose our lives, that we owe to him the highest allegiance and honor and love, even if it costs us our lives, that he is more dear than our lives. This is the fear of the Lord. It's to acknowledge his wisdom is higher than ours, therefore to submit to it. It It's to acknowledge his grace is great enough to forgive us and therefore to trust in him. To fear the Lord is to acknowledge an accountability before God. And therefore, to want to bring honor and glory and pleasure to Him. It's supreme. It puts God as supreme. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And then, what does he say? Honor the emperor. Now, you might read that and say, wait a minute. Why did he put the emperor last? It seems like we're building. It seems like, you know, did, did Peter put God as the penultimate, the, the next to last, and then put the emperor as the ultimate? Not at all. The emperor is not above God simply because Peter lists him last. The emperor is listed last, but he is put in the category of all people. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Puts him right back in the category of every human. Why? Because God is sovereign, and we fear Him above all for His sake, doing His will as His servants. When the priorities are right and the allegiances are right, then we can say, okay. Out of fear of the Lord, submission to God, we can then submit properly, properly, to the other institutions that God has put in place, whether it be government or the marketplace, employment or the family or wherever, we can submit here when we have the fear of the Lord. It keeps us ultimately submitted to God and doing all other for the will of God and for the glory of God. Friend, I spoke earlier about what it means to be a Christian I've just given you a biblical understanding of what it means to honor God in the world. And if that begins to stir your heart, then please respond to that. Please pursue that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, take the general teaching of the Scripture. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, helping you to apply it in the way you think and operate. Let's live honorably in this world in relation to the government. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are around the world, who are suffering and trying to figure this out in a different context than ours. And let's ask God to help us live ultimately for his glory. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. May it cause us all not to bristle, not to ignore, not to turn aside, but to receive and to think and to process and to pray and to bring ourselves under your authority, the authority of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.